1 Timothy and specifically Paul's instruction on Timothy about the use of money. Okay? Um, and how, do, how should I start this? Okay, so two weeks ago, um, when we, the, the sermon two weeks ago, we focused on Paul's description of the greatness of Christ. Paul talks about money, 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 and then in the middle of talking about money, he talks about how great Christ is. And now he goes talking about money again. And I think the reason why Paul talks about the greatness of Christ in the middle of his instruction of money is because Paul wants to give us, give the Christians a clear idea. We are called to be generous because we are called to mimic the God who is generous. We are called to be generous with our money because we have to follow after Jesus Christ, who is the embodiment of the generosity of God. If you think about it very simply, what a Christian is, is a Christian who imitates God. So yesterday, I was absolutely obsessed, absolutely obsessed with this guy named Christopher Langham. Do you know Christopher Langham? Of course not. You don't, you don't know. Christopher Langham, because I didn't know until, he was, until yesterday, Christopher Langham is arguably the smartest man in the world. His IQ is between 200 and 210. In comparison, Albert Einstein's IQ was 190. So Christopher Langham, his IQ is 20 points higher than Albert Einstein arguably the most intelligent man of the 20th century. What made me so obsessive about Christopher Langham was that he's not a Christian, but he found a mathematical, physical equation that proves the existence of God. Doesn't know the Bible, doesn't know the Quran, but he found, he, 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 based on laws of physics, mathematics, and cognitive science, and metaphysics, he found the theory of everything that explains the reality of God. And unlike the God of Albert Einstein, who is this like impersonal, um, just uninvolved God, the God that Langham proves is a personal God, a God with personhood, a God who is involved. And it was so interesting because the guy who doesn't know the Bible came up with the idea of God that is very similar to my idea of God, what the Bible describes as who God is. And then Langan talks about hell, right? And he found the mathematical, physical equation for hell too. And basically he says hell is for people who do not identify themselves with God. He says the living God is looking for people who are like him. And what hell is, hell is, hell is a state of being where people who, are not, who suffer because they are not like God, who cut God out of their lives, and they want to live the way they want to rather than the way God wants to. He found a mathematical equation for that. 
And what he, told, what he said yesterday is very similar to what I just told you about Paul's instruction to Timothy. What God is looking for is someone who imitates him, who is like him. And who is like him? It is those who mimic his generosity. And that's the instruction that Paul is giving to Timothy so Timothy can give instruction to the Christians in the church of Ephesus. Let's talk about this. Verse 17. He says, as for the rich in this present age. Paul starts the instructions about the rich in the church in verse 17 by describing them, the rich in this present age. What is the, in the church of Ephesus, there are, is a mixture of people. There's, there's a mixture of con- like diff- people from different vocations. There are the slaves and there are the masters. There are the rich and there are the poor. So Paul is talking to the rich people in the congregation. So what is the definition of rich? What is the definition of rich? The rich definition of rich is those who have more money, those who have money left over after meeting their, their basic needs. If you have disposable income left over after providing for housing and food and basic clothing, that's the Bible definition of rich. Bible's definition of rich is not the top 10% of tax bracket. It's not the Jeff Bezos of the world. The Bible definition of rich is if you have income left over after meeting the necessities of life, then you're rich. If you can afford the extra guacamole in Chipotle, Y'all are rich, right? If you can just go to a movie and pay $100 for a movie and a popcorn without even even budgeting it, then you're rich. If you can go to Bokja Bokja on a whim, then you're rich. You understand? Relatively speaking, do you know most people in the world right now Barely make enough money to live on. That's most people in the world. Do you understand? Even in America, 58% of the people cannot afford to save $1,000 for an emergency fund. Which means if there's, like a thousand, if there's an ex-catastrophe that, that, that they have to pay $1,000 for, 58% of Americans can't afford that. I was watching a documentary about life in Gangnam, Korea. And these people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, they're working multiple jobs just to survive in Korea. There's this guy my age who drives cab in the morning, and at night he drives motorcycles for delivery so that he can support his family. These are not the, these people are not the exception. These people are generally how people live in the world. So when Paul talks about rich people, I am, I'm not yelling at you. I'm talking to me too. All of us here are rich. Let's be honest, right? We live in the wealthiest county, in the wealthiest country in the world. 
And none of us are struggling financially. Y'all are rich. Okay? So Paul's instruction today is directly with people like us. How people like us should use our money. Paul says, the rich in this present age. The word present age has double meaning. Meaning number one is present age means the age, the time and space that you are living right now. That's the present age. So the present age is for you and for me is 2023 in Fairfax, Virginia. That's one meaning of present age. And another meaning for present age is the age before the coming of Christ. Verse 19 talks about the coming age, the future. Comparison to that, Paul is talking, when Paul talks of the present age in verse 17, he's also talking about the age before the coming of Christ, the age before the full establishment of the kingdom of God. So Paul's instruction today is about people who are living right now in an age where the age that is passing, the age that will eventually pass, and we're and, and waiting for the age where Christ will come and establish his kingdom. So in the light of this time that we're living in, how should we live? Look, Paul is, doesn't hate the rich. He's not a, a, AOC, Eliza Cortez, like tax the rich. He's not, he doesn't hate the rich. The Bible is very neutral about, what, about money. Okay, let's be okay. So the, the reason for this teaching is not because he hates the rich, but it's because he's concerned for the rich. Look, all of us are rich by biblical definition, not because we sold drugs, or not because, you know, we, we, we did some ill-gotten gain, but we have the jobs that we have. We have the money that we have because we have the jobs that we have. We have the jobs that we have because God has provided for those jobs. Amen? Right? Look, do you know how I got my job in my firm right now? I didn't apply for it. I applied for this job like, I don't know, four years before I actually got it. They were searching their resumes and found my resume one day, and they gave me a call. They, had, they brought me for the interview. I had a three-hour interview, and the next day they gave me a job offer. It was a time that I needed a new job because my previous company were going through layoffs. I needed this job. Out of the blue, this firm called me, did an interview, and hired me the next day. So I know this job that I have right now, and same as the job that you have right now, is God-given. Right, June? It's God-given. Right, June? June, can have a, June has a great testimony. Clearly, we're rich because of the fun job that God has given. If Paul, if the Bible is not, is not condemning the rich, then why is Paul write, writing this instruction to the rich? He's writing the instruction to the rich because he loves them. And he doesn't want, them to, he doesn't want money to destroy them. Because Paul says in, the, in previous verses, the love of money 
is the root of all evil. Paul knows, even though money itself is neutral, people will be tempted by the love of money. And if you pursue money rather than God, you will be destroyed. The number one reason, I think, the people no longer come to the church is because they're too busy, they're too busy and they're too tired running after money. That's the reason. The reason why they're not here, the reason why they're not at churches, the reason why they're not following God is they're just too tired on Sundays because they're so tired because they're running after money. Paul doesn't want that to happen to the rich in the church. Paul also is instructing them, not because he loves them, and because he wants the rich people to see money differently. He wants them to see that money is not just a measure of a person's importance in this world, but measure is a tool that you can use to do great things in this world. Because Paul loves the rich people in the church, he wants them to see money as a tool that they can use to do great things in this world. That is why he's teaching about money in these verses. So what is the first thing that Paul teaches to the rich Christians like you and me? The first thing that he teaches to people like you and me is what not to do with money. What not to do with money, number one, he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them, command them not to be haughty. So the number one thing that Paul says, he teaches the rich people not to do, is not to be haughty with money. What is the definition of haughty? Haughty means arrogant, pride. Don't be prideful with your money. Did the light go off? Am I going blind? Turn it back on. I need a I need spotlight, man. I thrive in the spotlight. I wish they could have a spot. Can we have a spotlight like that? No? You want, you want, get one, all right? Where was I? Oh, how do you, not to be arrogant with money, right? Don't be arrogant with money. Look, because people don't know God, they want to be God. People want to be exalted. People want other people to notice how special you are, how important you are, how well off you are. We just do. Let's be honest. We just do. Right? And it is very tempting for the rich to use money to demonstrate to the world and all the people of the world how unlike you are, how unlike them you are, how you're more distinguished than they are. It's weird. And let's be honest. I'm not condemning anyone for the cars that they drive, right? You all drive very sensible cars, okay? I'm not, looking, I'm not judging anyone for the cars that they drive, so it's not, I'm not talking to you. But if you're driving a flashy car, then the reason for the reason why we drive flashy cars and we wear brand clothing. Right? I'm guilty of that, too. I bought my wife a ridiculous coat last year. I, I got to repent over that. Right? The reason why we buy these things, a lot of it is to demonstrate to the world how well off we are. 
how distinguishable we are from the rest. Paul says, don't do that. The opposite of this is true, right? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Never mind. I'm, I'm going ahead of myself. Rich people are not only tempted to flash their wealth through their possessions, but rich people, in my opinion, because I deal with a lot of rich people, by the way. I'm not talking to any of my particular clients. Okay, hi, clients, right? But generally speaking, if you're rich in one area, for some reason, a lot of rich people think because they're rich and successful in one area, they think they know, know they're experts in other areas. It's weird. Because they're rich, they think they have the authority over other areas. It's like the Donald Trump syndrome, right? Donald Trump says, I'm the best Christian. I, I'm the best. I know science. He's, he says, like, he's, he embellishes himself. And the reason why he does this is I, I, that's a rich guy syndrome. If you're rich, you think you just know, and you're entitled. Paul says, don't do that. And the opposite is true, right? If rich people think they're special because they have money, poor people on the opposite think they're not special, they're nobodies because they don't have any money. That's not true either. So Paul is saying, don't let wealth be the basis of how important you think you are or how insignificant you think you are. Money is just money. It's neutral. But don't use it to embellish yourself and don't use it to think of yourself as nothing. Don't do that. Look, the greatest thing about being a Christian is that you know that in the sight of God, that in God's sight, that you are special and that you are exalted. I remember the prayer meeting that June, Josh, and I did a couple of years ago. We were talking about Psalm 147, verse 6. The Lord lifts up the humble. This verse is about the Lord taking that is who, someone that is humble, someone who is in poor circumstances, and he lifts the poor up. And he exalts them. He makes them shine. The great thing about being a Christian is the awareness that, it, that the living God exalts you. That you are the shiny prize in the eyes of God. And you get your feeling of being special, being valued, not by, the, not by the possessions that you have, but because you're aware that the living God exalts you. That is the big greatest feeling in the world, man. But if you don't know that God is exalting you, then of course you're going to use money to make you feel exalted. Of course, you're going to use money to think of yourself as a loser. Because you think that you have nothing, to, nothing worth to be exalted for because you don't have any money. The feeling of exalted is independent of how wealthy you are. It's your awareness of how God thinks about you. 
okay? Number two, Paul says, don't be haughty. Rich people like you and me, don't be haughty with money. Don't use your money as a source of pride. Number two, Paul says, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Paul says, teach the rich people not to hope in the uncertainty of riches. The tempting thing about money is this. It gives you a sense of false hope and security. When your, in, when your salary comes in every two weeks, don't you feel good? Oh, I feel good. Because I work late at night at two, until 2 in the morning. Salary day, at 2 in the morning, I check, is the money there? And if the money is there, I go, ah, I'm so safe. Temptation about money is that you think money is provide, will give you security. The money will give you satisfaction. The money will protect you. We think, the thing about money is, we think money will protect us. That's why we hope in money. Because money seems to offer tangible, measurable security. And the rich are tempted to think that true security is found in money. One of the great sins that David committed before the Lord is he took a census of how big his army was. That's a huge sin in the eyes of God. Because David, the reason why he took the census was he wanted to feel safe based on the size of his army and not on the living God. If you and I are Christians, then truly our sense of security must come from the awareness of the living God providing for us and not money. Paul calls money the uncertainty of money. Hope in money is uncertain. Because even though money seems to offer you hope and security, money is very fragile. It really is very uncertain. Okay? Let's talk about this. I'm going to scare you a little bit of how uncertain your money is. Right now, we're in the middle of, right now, we're in the middle, we're, on, we're, we're dangerously close to World War III. I know Israel and Palestine is far away. And if you don't look at YouTube, if you're just looking at cute cats and TikTok and YouTube, you may not be aware of the conflict that's going on over there. But this is on the verge of World War III. This is how it's going to play out. This is one of the possible scenarios. Israel attacks, invades Palestine. Iran invades Israel. U.S. invades Iran because they invade Israel. When U.S. invades Iran, all the Arab nations will attack the U.S., if that happens, and that is a very likely, that could happen very likely, we're in denial, Sean, right? But if, it, if that happens, 
right? I want to be a believer like Sean. If that happens, oil prices will skyrocket. Even before War Three, even before Russia's involvement, oil prices will skyrocket. I know, Sean, that's a possible scenario. I'm telling you what CNN says, okay? If, if oil prices skyrocket, you think your job is safe? You think the global economy is going to be, maybe Sean Stark's going to have his job. But the economy will slow down. And when the economy slows down, the demand for services, which all of us are in, that's the first thing that's going to get, it's going to get cut off. It's not, that's how uncertain we are in. One of my best friends in my previous company was this lawyer named Carl. Carl was the wisest heathen that I knew. I called him that. I said, Carl, you're the wisest heathen that I know. He says, thank you. Carl was a brilliant lawyer, but he volunteered at homeless shelters. I'm sorry, food, food. What it, food banks, right? They, he gives away food, food banks, right? Food banks. He gives away food to the poor in Arlington, Alexandria. And Paul was talking to all the people that he served. And what, Paul, what Carl said was, after talking to these people, I realize I'm only two mistakes away for be, be, by, for, from being, ending up like them. He says, the economic situation between me and them, it's, the gap is not wide. I'm only two mistakes away from ending up where they are. So despite the feeling that money gives you every two weeks, let's be honest here. It won't take much for you to lose your job. Do you understand? I am in constant awareness that I'm on the verge of being fired, and I am. Because not only do I have to answer for my mistakes, but I have to answer for the mistakes of all my paralegals. And if my paralegals make mistakes, who's going to get blamed? This guy. So I'm under no illusion that my salary is from a never-ending source. I am aware, really, that my salary comes from the hand of God. Paul says that's what y'all have to realize, too. The wealth that you have is uncertain. Hope in the living God who provides for these things, who provides for your salary. Don't hope in money itself, but hope in living God. How a Christian ought to live, a Christian ought to constantly live in the dependence on, on God. 
I think the reason why God lets me go through various trials at work, it seems like a never-ending trial at work, never-ending trials. The reason he does that is because he makes me know that every day I need to depend on him for the real things, for the real practical things in my life. So do you. You need to pray. You need to depend on God because that's how a Christian lives, constantly. Dependence on God. Paul says, do not put hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Paul says, it is wise to depend upon God because not only does God provide provides for you, but he provides everything for you for us to enjoy. What in the world does that mean? If God, God provides us with everything, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. It doesn't mean that God's going to give you money, 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 so that you will just satisfy the lust of your flesh. That, does not, that, does not, that is not what this verse means. But what Paul says here is, God provides us with everything to enjoy means, not only does God provide you with material things, but he gives you such joy. He gives you joy. He gives you things that will cause you great joy. That's what he means here. So not only does God provide you for food and bread, but he provides you with things that will give you so much joy. Here example. So I usually go to small group every Friday. Right? Every Friday I go to small group. But this Friday, Arlington Small Group says, we're on break. I go, thank you, Arlington Small Group. Right? Okay, thank you. But my wife says, I'm stressed. Can we go out? I go, thank you, Arlington Small Group. Right? So I took her out. Right? And I went, went to this restaurant at Tyson's too. Jira, Singapore. It's like a... It's like a Singaporean restaurant or something, right? So it's great. I wanted to go, so we, we, we went. It's not the cheapest food in the world, right? But there was so much joy in that experience. God not only provided me with the money so I can afford to take my wife to that restaurant, right? But he gave me, gave us such joy in that experience. The servers were really kind. And my wife was in such a good mood. We had such great conversation. The food was really great. The manager came and he asked me, where are you, from? Where are you really from? I go, what? No kidding. He said, where are you really from? Once again, racism equals good food, right? But when he says, where are you really from? I go, why do you want to know, man? And he says, because the chef wanted to know. And I go, why does the chef want to know where I'm from? He said, I don't know. That was mystery. I think he says, because we ordered well or something. I got complimented by what we ordered. Anyway, that whole experience was joyful. And I could point to God who provided 
me with all the circumstances that evening for my wife and my enjoyment. He just doesn't provide you with food and bread and money. God gives you things that will bring you so much joy. Money and possessions in and of themselves will not give you joy. They will not. They won't. You know what they won't. The shiny car is only attractive when the, for a month when you get it. Look, Freud, Sigmund Freud said, if a man has everything that he could, if a man is in a position where he can afford everything that he ever wanted, that man will become a nihilist and he'll be depressed. Freud is saying, if you have the ability to possess everything, you'll still be a nihilistic, depressing person. Because possessions in and of themselves do not give you any joy. The living God, the things that God gives you is so much, gives you so much joy. And Paul is saying, don't hope in riches who cannot give you such joy. But please hope and depend on God who will give you all things that will give you so much enjoyment in life. That's what Paul is saying here. So my, pe my people, if you're not aware of God, if you're not walking in the awareness of God, you're robbing yourself of joy, man. Do you understand? If you're severing your ties from God on a regular basis, then you're missing out on this life-giving, life-affirming, this completely happy, blessed joy that God, will give you, God wants to give you. When you are aware of God, everything that you experience will give you such joy. I was talking, like, I was talking to, what's that guy named? The coffee guy, Joe, right? He was like cooking pizza. And when he looked at the pizza, he got so much joy from knowing all the ingredients in the pizza plate was from God. And that pizza was, gave him such joy, Joe, Joe said. Guys, things without God would not give you joy. But the smallest things with God will give you incredible joy. You hearing me, El Comprende? That's why Paul says, hope in God. Paul says, therefore, don't let the rich be pride with their money. Don't let them hope in, in don't, let, don't, don't put their hope in money. Those are the two things that you shouldn't do with money. Verse 18 and 90 talks about what you should do with your money. Verse 18, Paul says, tell the rich that they are to do good with their money. What is the definition of good? The definition of good is this. The definition of good is this. Ready for the definition of good? Here we go. Good here means what is, ex what is inherently excellent, uh, what is intrinsically um, excellent, noble, and good. So the good here, Paul, means use your money for, for endeavors that are noble, uh, worthy, 
meaningful projects that will, that will bring life to people. That's what it means. When you look at money, don't look at money as a source of getting stuff. Don't, use your, don't look at your disposable income as a means of getting you dispo, like, stuff. But look at money where you can invest in something that is worthy, noble, life-giving. Look at your disposable income as a tool where you can invest in something that is worthy, noble, and life-giving. That's how you're supposed to look at money. Look, because of my father's position, you know, I get to know some cool people in my life, right? So a couple of years ago, I got to have lunch with um, one of the ministers in the Korean embassy. He's like, he was like number two guy in the Korean embassy, right? So because of my dad's connections, he wanted to have lunch, dinner with me, so I went. Right? And he's a Christian. And what he does with his money is most of, a lot of the money that he earns, he uses to build churches. So all throughout dinner, he was talking to me about 15, 16 churches that he helped build in the world. For him, he the use of his money is always tied to building of churches. That's what Paul means when he says, use your money for good. Another example is this guy named Eden Chen. Eden Chen is a founder of this tech company called Fisherman's Inc. It's a game engine company. I don't know what game engine does, but it's a game engine company. And his clients include Sony, Walmart, all these major corporations. And he makes a lot of money. But Eden Chen does not live in Beverly Hills. He lives in LA. He doesn't live in Beverly Hills or Bel Air. He lives in South Central, which is the poorest, dangerous counties in LA. He does it so that in his free time, he can invest his free time and his money on the poor people of that community. That's investing your money in something that is good, noble, life-giving, worthy. For all of you who can afford the exercise of guacamole and chipotle, or if you're a real baller, the double meat guys at Chipotle. If you're really rich, have all the streaming services known to man. Look at your money as a way of doing some good work. Paul says, let the rich, right, do good to be rich in good works. The rich and good works here means let your good works define how wealthy you are. Let not the money numbers in your bank account not define how rich you are. Let not the car that you drive define how rich you are. Let the quality of the good works that you're investing in with your money, may those works be the basis of your wealth. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that great? 
Don't wear annoying Balenciaga sneakers that cost $1,000. Oh, yeah. There's a line in Balenciaga for, for, for sneakers that cost $1,000. Don't do that. But there's a YouTube guy that I follow. It's totally disgusting. He's a, he's a, he's a what do you call it? A dermatologist, skincare doctor in Korea. And his YouTube clip, his only channel is only about the cars that he drives, the apartments that he lives in, the, the things that he buys. He bought like a $15,000 pair of glasses. It has diamonds in it, $15,000 glasses. It's all about flaunting his wealth. Totally disgusting. Paul says, don't be like that guy. Flaunt your wealth in, in regards to the, thing, the good things that you do with your money. Not only that, he says, be generous and to, and to, be, to be generous and to be ready to share. He says, your attitude for money is that you need to be ready to be generous and ready to share. Let's be honest. When we, when we first look at our money, the first thought that we go into it is, how can I spend it for me and my family, right? When we get the money, we go, okay, I got the money. What's the best way that I can spend this money for me and my family? It's a very self-satisfying mindset that we have when we look at money. Paul says, no, 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 no. When you look at money, the first inkling that you should have is, how can I share this money with the people around me? How can I be generous with this money? Look, I am so proud of so many of you. Not only because you, 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 you contribute to the operations of our church. God bless you for that. And many of you also support your parents. God bless you for that. You have a heart of generosity. Paul is saying, let the spirit of generosity control how you look at money. Not in regards to what, what you can do with your money for you. Paul says, investing in your money, wise use of your money is so important because they, are, they will be the foundation of, of they, they will be the foundation they're throwing up treasure for themselves. That's good. For, so when you, verse 19, when you use your money generously, verse 19, we are storing treasures for ourselves in the, in, in, the, in the coming kingdom of God. Listen, like I said, there's two ages here. The current age is the age that we're living in, but this age will come to an end. It will. And we, are, and, and we are awaiting for the ultimate reality to come into this world, which is the kingdom of God. Let's say we are on a train on our way to New York, and New York is the final destination. This world is Philadelphia. You have to pass, when you take a train, you stop in Philadelphia, and then you go to New York, right? Paul is saying this world as it is, is this world, we're just stopping in Philadelphia right now. Or we're moving to a final destination of the kingdom of God. And Paul is saying, 
the glory and the treasure you receive in the kingdom of God is directly related to how well you spend, how wisely, how generously you spend your money here. Look, entrance to the kingdom of God is by grace alone, right? But what we receive in the kingdom of God is based on merit. You see the difference? Entry to the kingdom is grace alone. But the treasure we receive in the kingdom is by merit. Kingdom of God is not a socialist utopia. It's not a Montessori school where everyone gets the same prize. That's not what the kingdom of God is. Kingdom of God, in a certain sense, is a meritocracy. Entry is grace. But the reward is based on merit. What we do in this world will directly affect the treasures we have in the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus says, do not lay yourself treasures of this earth, but rather work so that you will lay treasures for yourself in heaven. That's what Jesus says, right? How you use your money will determine your, 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 your treasure in the kingdom of God. Look, last story and I'll end. Because I'm trying to end in 45 minutes. You guys saw the movie Schindler's List? No? Go watch, go watch Schindler's List, one of the greatest movies in the 20th century. Oscar Schindler is a German guy living in, I think, Poland, was it? And real life story. He's a guy who bribed the Nazis so that, and, and through his bribes, he saved like, I think, 200 Jewish, Jewish people living in Poland. He used his money to buy workers for his factory, and all those workers for his factories were Jews. These Jews were supposed to go to the concentration camp. Oskar Schindler used his money to make those Jews go work for his factory. And those Jews' lives were saved because Oskar Schindler used his money to buy them from the, from the Nazis. Okay? At the end of the movie, when the war is about to over, and, and, and because not, Oskar Schindler was affiliated with the Nazi party because he had to do business with them, when the war, war was over, the Allies was going to come after Oskar Schindler. So Oskar Schindler had to leave. So... On, in, the, in the dark of night, he leaves. He gets in his car with his fur coat. And as he's driving away, he looks at his possessions. And he says, with this coat, the money I spent this coat, I could have spared five lives. With this ring, I could have bought like four more workers. With this car, I could have bought 20 more workers. He looks at what he has, and he realized if he just gave more, he could have saved more people. And he was bawling of regret. Your money, my money, can be used to make a difference and save people. 
And when Christ appears, how will we give account for the disposable income that he has given us? I bought like a pull-up machine bar in my basement for my basement. I had to like clean up a lot of my basement stuff. And I was like throwing a lot of things away. And I realized all the things that I'm throwing away, at the moment that I bought them, I thought that was really important. But in the end, they weren't that important at all because I'm throwing them away. How much of the money that are we using right now is it on stuff that we'll throw away in the next two or three years? And how much of the money that we're using, are we using it to save people's lives? The reason why we're generous is because we're called to mimic Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? Paul in 2 Corinthians 2, 8, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, for our sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we became rich. Paul is saying the reason why we're saved is because rich Jesus Christ became poor for us. And through his poverty we live. My dear friends, that's how we're supposed to live. I think we all need to pray. I'm not saying give all your money to the church. I'm not a full of dollars, right? I don't need a G4. But the reason I'm telling you this is so that maybe in your time, in your prayer time, you need to pray to God. God, where do you want me to spend my money? I'm praying that for myself. Where do you want me to spend my money? Let me see. I think I, I, think I found maybe three organizations that I want to support more. And you've got to pray that prayer too. Let's imitate Jesus Christ with our money. And that's Paul's instructions to the rich Christians. Let's pray.